I said that I think one of the greatest miracles I've ever experienced, and I've, I've experienced a lot of miracles in my life. I've, I've seen people who've been healed instantly that were blind and their eyes were open. I, I experienced that. I was able to watch as a gentleman was saved in a service and uh, in, a, in a revival in Louisiana, came every night and sat over on my left in the corner until the night, that, he, that last night when he came and there was no room for him there and the only place that he could find, that could find a spot and his wife led him down and they sat in the center aisle and saw God gloriously save him that night. Wonderful salvation and then God healed him. I've watched all kind of miracles. I've seen people healed that were crippled. Um, I have experienced with my eyes watching things happen. Started when I was a young person, watching miracles, God divinely healing. I believe in it. I've also watched people die that I prayed for. And I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. I'm serving a great God that's able to do anything. But one of the greatest experiences I've ever had happened today. And it happened because that I have a service that I do every Wednesday morning at Kilmichael at God's House of Hope. This particular week, I had been burdened so heavy uh, but I could not get a release in the spirit of what to preach. I've learned to relax in that because I've learned to trust God. I could reach into uh, the memory bank alone and pick out thousands of messages almost in any place in the scripture. But I don't want a message. I want the word of God, God's word for that hour to be spoken. And so I went to bed last night without a message, without anything that I was going to speak on. And I didn't even set a, a, the clock or anything else to try to get up and, and, and sort of uh, cram, trying to find something in the morning. I just rested in God. And I woke up at a very decent hour, but just prior to waking up, I had a very unusual dream. And I've given you examples of dreams that I've had in the past and the reason that I can always relate them to being spiritual dreams is the things that happen immediately after the dreams. Because when I have a dream that is God-based or God has spoken in my heart, I wake up immediately with it so fresh as if though it literally happened. And so that's the way that I, I know that it is of the Lord. And whatever time of the night, it may be 1 o'clock in the morning, it may be 3 o'clock this morning, it happened to be right at 5 o'clock, that I had the dream and immediately was awakened, and I still have it as fresh right now as if though I was actually involved in it. And I was preaching at a church that I've not preached at in over 20 years. And I preached a particular message at that church over 20, probably 21 or 22 years ago not knowing exactly when it was. But when I, when I woke up, uh, during that dream, there were events that took place. There were things of the pastor that I was well acquainted with and uh, that I love and, and the church, a very, very wonderful church in New Orleans and where I preached many, many times over the years.
But in that, when I woke up, and I knew the Lord was still speaking, and I, I knew, I, I, I got out of bed and got in the shower, and that, when the Lord began to show me that I was to speak that message that I preached better than 20 years ago, and I have not preached it since that time. That was the last time I preached it. It was out of 2 Kings chapter 5, and that's where that I want you to just look for a brief time with me tonight. But to go back to the miracle, for what God spoke to me was something that was so unusual that I've learned to trust God. You see, that God's House of Hope in Kilmichael is a wonderful group of, of different aged people that are there in recovery, recovering from drug addiction, alcoholism, all kinds of circumstances and situation, dire need, people who have reached the bottom and they're, re they're, they're reaching out for hope and help. But what the Lord spoke to me about this morning was that when I preached that message when I got to kill Michael, that I was to share the fact that I had the dream and that I was to tell the name of the church and the pastor because this was this is the thing he said there was someone there that's connected i don't know a single one of those people they change weekly there's probably 30 40 maybe at the most there today i don't know a name i, I couldn't give you the name of anyone except those that are that are in uh, leadership positions there it didn't, it, and so it didn't phase me to do and be obedient to God. And so when I got there, I did that. I said, now I'm preaching a message that I preached. The last time I preached it was on the West Bank in uh, New Orleans at a church. And this is the name of the pastor. And I gave the name of the pastor, Mike Neely. And... Uh, and so I went and preached, I preached the message. Something happened in that service when the Holy Spirit just began to come in such a wonderful, marvelous way. They sung a song. They, only, they usually sang two songs, and they sung one song, and I stopped them. I said, there's no need of going any further because that song they sung so related to the message that I said, I want, I want to take it right now. And so when I began to preach, first I laid the foundation by telling them where it was, what I just told you. I finished the message, never thought anything else about it. And that was it. I didn't think another thing about it. Service, that when, I, when I finished preaching, those young people, and, and some of them are well, they're older people too, but most of them are young, but they were... They were on their knees, on the floor, many of them laying, just, just crying. Just, and one young lady that was her first, first service, first time to be there, and she was just absolutely torn up. And God was moving. I went over and turned the camera off because I did put it live. And when I cut, cut it off, and there were a couple of them came and wanted me to pray for them. And I prayed for them. And there was this young lady then walked up to me. 
tears streaming down her face, shaking, and she reached out to take my hand, and she said, that was for me. She said, my husband and I own property that's connected our next door neighbor is that pastor. And that's the church where we attended off and on for years. And she said, this was God dealing with me because I was getting ready to quit and give up on God and give up on this program. But she said, God sent that for me. And I said, oh yes, he did. Now, I was trying, I was talking to Sissy and I was saying, you know, I don't know how we could, you could put the chance of that happening into one out of 50,000, 60,000, you could probably make it more like one out of seven billion that that would happen just like it happened. But God orchestrated it. And to know that God can still speak. And I'd been crying out, God let me know that you still speak to me. That you still show me things. That you still will, will use me. Because I've been used that way many, many, many times in the past. But it's been a long time. And so to me, it was the, it was the greatest miracle to see God speak in a dream and to see it come to pass in that kind of setting that, that quick and to see it that way. And so what I'm telling you that is, is the fact that if we can understand how great God is and how much he's wanting to, you can't shut off the spirit of God from speaking by letting anything in your life that will shut down the voice of God. Right now, it's critical that you've got good ears to hear. And that's what the book of Revelation says over and over. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. Because we're hearing so much. But the verses of Scripture in, in 2 Kings chapter 5 is about Naaman. And the Bible says, now Naaman, commander of the armies of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of, the of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to the Syrians. He was also a mighty man of valor. Three words that changes that whole concept, but a leper. Three words. If you took those three words out of those two verses of Scripture, you would have an absolute, totally different view. Because you'd have a man that you could erect a monument to. A great man, the Bible says. A, a, a man of, of valor, a man of courage. A brilliant general. Used 
to lead a nation, the top military man in the whole nation. And those that were over him, the king, they, they could not think of anybody that they thought more highly of than they did Naaman. But one great flaw, one great problem, and that was leprosy, that he was a leper. Now, I don't know how long he'd had it. I don't know how severe it was, but all of you, we, we, we know the story of, of leprosy in the scripture and how it speaks of sin. The Bible gives us illustration in the book of Isaiah of how that God wants to wash us. Though our sins be like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And how that sin is a leprosy, it is a deadly virus. It will destroy, sin will destroy. It breaks out in different manner in different people. But sin has the same end results. There is no two choices when you have sin. It's either, it's death. That, that is, comes with the sin. Whatever it is, it comes with that, the pain. For the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It doesn't matter whether it's a notable sin, whether it is a billboard type sin, or whether it's a secret hidden sin, it carries the same penalty. The same results ends the same way. All sin leads to death. And he had leprosy. He was a dying man. He was a man that had was no cure. He was soon to be no use in all of his military training and all of his abilities. He was getting to the point he would be of no value. Why? Because leprosy not only is deadly, it's contagious. Sin never just affects the person that has it. It always affects those who get close enough to them. Sin affects everybody. What our nation is experiencing right now is because of sin. It's nothing else. You can try to make it anything you want to. You can bring it down to black and white. You can bring it down to some kind of, of, of misjustice or whatever you want to. But the truth is, everything that you're seeing is happening in our nation right now is a result of sin. We have, re we have rejected God. We have turned our back upon God. But he was a leper. And we know that because of a young lady... This young lady, if all of you, while you're standing in line, trying to meet the Apostle Paul, I want to go and find this young lady who was taken from her home, not by choice. She was abducted. She was taken prisoner and served as a servant lady, young lady, in Naaman's house, serving his wife. And this young lady saw Naaman as he was exposed when he took his military uniform off to see the blood 
and to see the things that were left on his clothes and to see the things that were going on. And her heart was filled with compassion. She wasn't angry. She didn't look and say he's getting what he deserves. She didn't say, I'm glad that he's suffering because he's been, he took me away from my mama. But her heart was this. I just wish he knew <laughs> that there was a man of God in Israel. I just wish he knew that there is a prophet of God in my country. Somebody went to Naaman and told him this story, and all of you know this story, and how that he went before his king to say, look, I hear that there is a possibility I can, I can get well from this. I can be healed. And the king makes arrangements because this is Naaman. He needs him. He needs him in his army. He needs him. And so he makes all preparation, and Naaman himself goes through no, no lack of expense. In today's economy, many believe that Naaman took with him between two and three million dollars plus clothes that they weren't just normal clothes. These were elaborate clothes. No one knows what the value. But he took all of this with him to pay for his healing. And as he got to the king of Israel, that we know that the king didn't know. That man should have known. Of all the people in Israel, the head of the the head of Israel was also the head of the church. He should have known, but he didn't know. All he thought was somebody's trying to start a fight again with me. But about that time, the man of God, Elisha, sent word and said, tell him to come to my house. And so Naaman went to the house of Elisha. And Elisha didn't even go out to greet him. Sent his servant out and said, I want you to just go tell him to do this. Well, there was anger there. You see, a lot of people want God, but they want God in their own terms. And this is what I preached on this morning. They want, you want God to bring you deliverance, but you want, to, you want to program the way you want him to deliver you. You see, we have our religious ways of doing things, and if God don't work in that, then then we're not going to let God work in our lives. Because we think we've got a preconceived idea of how things work. God doesn't work in our plans. He doesn't work under our, our uh, systems. and That's religion. Religions dictate to God what God will do. Religion determines everything about God and how God reacts and how God does. But God is a relationship God. We talked about the kingdom of God, which is not religion. We're part of a citizenship of heaven. And we are part of that here on earth. And Naaman was mad because I'm not going to do this. Thank God for another servant who had sense enough to say to him, if he told you to do some great thing, you'd gone and done it. 
wouldn't you? And he said, yes, I would. He said, but he's told you to, told you to do this. And he said, but listen, any good, good river would do. Why do I have to go to this river? Why do I have to go to that muddy Jordan River? Why could I go to the rivers? There's two good rivers in our, my country. I could have gone there. He said, no. You see, Naaman knew that there was something very serious about what he was about to do. Because, you know, the last time he met with his doctor, and this is my assumption, this is me preaching right now, but the last time that he met with his doctor, and the doctor said, Naaman, you've got leprosy, and there's not any cure for it. I don't know how long we're going to be able to keep you in front because you're going to have to be separated sooner or another because you're going to leave your house, you've got to leave your family because you're going to infect everybody. But right now, let me just give you some good advice. Best thing you can do with leprosy is that you got to keep it dry. Do not get it infected with bad water. Make sure that if it rains, you come in out of the rain. You don't, you keep it dry. Leprosy, it begins to increase drastically when it gets wet. That infection, and now he's telling Naaman to go down to the river and get in some infected water, dirty water, bad river. You know what Naaman knew? Naaman knew that it wouldn't be long when he came up out of that water, he was gonna die. That was a death sentence to, to Naaman to go to that river. Because of all the places, the infections that he had would begin to his body quickly. So it was a death sentence. Now, how do I, you say, well, how do you know the, pre, the doctor told? I'm just going by the knowledge of the things that we learned about leprosy and how they treated it in the, in the Old Testament. There was no cure for it. There was just a prolonging of the life of the person by doing certain things you live longer. And so Naaman, being a valiant man and a brave man, said, well, I guess I'm going to die anyway. But if this man has told you to do this, I want to tell you something about sin. The only cure for sin is death. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't say that if you come to Jesus and you get saved, you're going to, then, then you don't die. No, no. The only cure for sin is death. Jesus died for your sins and for my sins. And if you are saved, the process of salvation is to die. That's why we have water baptism. There's a marvelous study about baptism and why we baptize and why that it is so vital in the work of the kingdom of God. But baptism and going in the water is a sign that you died, that you die to yourself. You no longer live to yourself, but you're resurrected. And for you no longer to live, but Christ that lives in you. And so Naaman went down to the water. And here's the, here's the thing about it. 
he had to dip seven times. And as I told him this morning, the seven was not necessarily just the number seven. It was the number of completion, which means you just got to do it till it gets done. And my challenge to them there was that they sung the song at the beginning of the service that God will not give up on you. And so my response to them was, no, you have glorified and magnified God in this song that God will not give up on you. The only thing that I want to ask you, will you give up before you've dipped enough? Before you've ducked in that water enough times, will you stop? Because if you decide, if you have made up your mind, whatever it takes, how long it takes, whatever I got to do, I want deliverance. I don't want sin to have dominion over me. I do not want something in my life. I do not want curses in my life. I do not want these things that are destroying me. And if I've got to dip in Jordan until it's gone and it's a symbol of seven times, I'm going to go down. And if I come back up and there is still every it's every sign that it's there. If I go down twice and come up and every sign is there, I'm going to go down the third time. And when I come up, if the sign is there, I'm going to go down again. And I want to tell you something. The best way to have victory in your life is just don't ever quit ducking in the river. Duck till it's gone. And seven ducks on a muddy river. You'll duck enough times, you're going to find that one of these times when you come up, that thing that's hung on to you, and oh, you're talking about a breakthrough when those young people begin to hear, you see, they've, they've, they've been through every program, they've gone through everything, they've prayed a thousand prayers, they've, they've ducked in every, every place that people told them to duck. But if you just keep on ducking and keep on believing, there's coming a time of victory. How about you? How many of you have got things in your life that you just have got to get victory over? Maybe it's the old flesh. Maybe it's your flesh. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a sickness you have in you. And, and you say, I've been prayed for, and it's embarrassing to keep being prayed for. No, just keep ducking. Can I get an amen somewhere? If you got an old sin that keeps on hanging on and, and a habit or a problem in your life that you just keep on, that you just don't seem to be able to get rid of, just don't stop ducking. Because <laughs> your seven times may be 70 times. <laughs> Come on. Nod your head at me if you believe you hear what I'm saying. But will you keep on ducking? If anybody asks you how's it going, just say I'm keep ducking. Amen. Somebody say, Are you having victory? I'm ducking. Amen. <laughs> have you have you have you got your healing yet? Well, I'm ducking. I'm not gonna quit. 
I'm going to keep ducking. Well, glory to God. Let's stand to our feet. And let's just praise the Lord because you know what? This is what it's all about. Victory's coming to you. And sometimes you got to do something you don't want to do. And you just got to do it until God gets through. And when he gets through, you're going to be a brand new person. And Naaman turned out to be the same way he was when he was a teenager. Glory to God. All the mars and the scars and the, of every bit of the leprosy was gone. And when he came up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.